What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hellman, and today we're talking about reduce, reducing, reducing. We'll leave this in. We're talking about reducing turnover, reducing churn, making it less likely that people leave your community, how you can make them want to stay around longer. What's up, gang? I'm excited today. You know, it's fun, fun to power through this episode here with Mike, but I'm, I'm almost a little bit distracted because there's something I'm super, super excited about. And that's that tonight, uh, it's Friday here in Philadelphia, and we're going to be doing a little happy hour over in the new Indie Hall space, the place that we're moving at the end of the summer. So obviously I've been talking a lot about the move, and I will be talking a lot more about the move coming up, but early, early on, uh, the space is still sort of under construction. There's demo being done all over the place. And we've taken a number of tours over there before, but still there's lots of community members that haven't gotten to see it yet. And most people, even the ones who did get to see it, haven't seen it since it's framed out. So we're going over tonight for a little bit of like a happy hour slash creative brainstorming session. Um, and it's not like a, you know, whiteboards up on the wall. It's more like a let's dream. Like you you can't visualize space until you're actually in it. And for months I've been sort of slinging drawings and we're picking out appliances and we've sort of gotten into the nitty gritty details and, and that's important stuff. It's got to happen. But I think we're going to, it's necessary for us to come back to center a little bit and be in the space together and say, well, how is this going to feel when we're walking through it every day? What can we do to make this feel great? And we've got a little less than two months left before we're actually in it for real and out of the current space that we're in. So this is the first of what I think is going to be a bunch of these kinds of sessions where we go over on an evening or maybe we'll do some in the morning for the people that are more breakfast crowd versus a happy hour crowd and just get over there and, and dream a little bit together. And it's not that we're going to do everything that we dream up, but you know we'll, we'll pick the best of all the little things and the things that actually make sense to start. And the number one priority right now is choosing things that are going to make this place feel like home. So I'm excited to see what the crew comes up with. I think we're going to have a really good time. I'll be posting some pictures online. You can follow Indie Hall on Instagram if you want to check those out. We're going to be posting a lot more updates there over the next couple of months as well. Uh, And with that, I think it's worth getting into today's question. Amy Lee McDonald asks, how do you reduce membership turnover? So deep inside this question is an assumption, and I want to tackle that assumption first. And that assumption is that people only are using a co-working space when they need a place to work. And I know that's true of a lot of co-working spaces, and maybe it's true of your co-working space or co-working space you've been a part of. But I think that's at the heart of why this is a problem for a lot of people, why a lot of co-working spaces have very high turnover. Uh, and that, that kind of compounds, and we can get into a couple of the parts of the challenges that come with that high turnover. One of the most interesting questions that I get a lot from journalists, in fact, is about how we run such a high turnover business and still stay sustainable. And I always ask in return, what makes you think that we're high turnover? And from their point of view, it's because they've heard from lots of other co-working spaces that co-working spaces typically have high turnover. They're high turnover because they're flexible, because people can come and go and people change jobs and their situations and all these things. And then I tell them that our average member lifetime is between three and four years. And remember, that's just an average. Uh, we've got people that have been here much longer. And, and uh, the reason for that is because we've never been about being a place to work 
that's a part of what we do. But like that's like swinging a hammer is part of what a carpenter does, right? They don't get paid to swing the hammer. The hammer swinging is not the value. There's a result they create. So let's let's dig into this question a little bit. Why do people leave co-working spaces? And if you're not already tracking the reasons that people leave your co-working space, that's a good place to start. Why do people leave co-working spaces? So we pay attention to that. And we pay very close attention to those reasons and we look for patterns. And one of the most noticeable patterns that stood out to us in terms of something that was addressable was the sentence, and you may have heard this before, I'm not using it enough. And the phrase I'm not using it enough is super, super loaded with expectations. And it says to me, it says to my team, we didn't do a very good job of explaining what the thing that you're paying for is or we did not help you manage the expectations of what it is that you are now a part of. Because the thing with a co-working space, and even if you abstract things away from the fact that it's a physical space, there's a community involved, the majority of the value that someone's able to get from a community isn't from the room, it's not from the operations team, it's from the other peers in the community. And that's the secret sauce to answering this question to increasing member lifetime is increasing member lifetime value, not just value for you in terms of how long they pay their membership, but how much value they get over the time of their membership. And that comes from interactions, that comes from relationships, that comes from participation and contribution. Now, Another spot where people get hung up on this is that if people aren't participating or contributing in the ways that they know or expect, that they assume that that person is is doing something wrong or that they are just going to leave. And this mode of thinking comes down to there's only one way to participate. We think about participation as binary. You're doing it or you're not, right? You're a part of the community or you're not. And in the case of paying for membership, you're paying for membership or you're not. But even within that, when people talk about the flexibility of co-working, in a lot of people's minds, I think flexibility for them is the ability to choose how much I pay based on how much I can afford or even how much I need. But for what we believe, for what flexibility means for us is that you can choose how to make this fit you within some very important bounds of reason and things that align with our core values. So if you go on IndieHall.org slash purpose, we actually have a page that defines how we make decisions. Every decision that we make every single day sort of runs through this matrix, which makes it really easy for us. Uh, This is basically like our instincts externalized. And I'm not saying you should go run on our instincts, but take a look at our instincts and look at some of the things that we prioritize, the ways we make decisions, the things that we put ahead. And one of the things that we, we always do is we will do everything in our power to stay away from building benefits or values into the business model and to what people are paying for that are based on square footage, things that when they no longer need it, it goes away. That's potentially short-term revenue. There's a bunch of really interesting psychology research about when you give somebody something that feeds an intrinsic motivation, and they're very likely to continue doing that thing for a very long time. When you feed give somebody something that feeds an extrinsic motivation, like the one for like money or goodies or, I mean, all the stuff, right? All the perks in co-working spaces are eff- effectively extrinsically satisfying benefits. Those things actually reduce the sense of satisfaction of the intrinsic benefits that people get over time. So people effectively get distracted by the shiny, cool stuff you give them 
and they forget to invest time and energy into getting the value out of the stuff that gives them value over the long term, which in this case, again, relationships, connections. And if people aren't into community, right? There are people that are like motivated by community and not everyone walks around all day thinking that what they want is community. You know, that, that sense of loneliness that we talk about all the time, it's not like when you're hungry. Like when you're hungry, you get hungry enough at a certain point where you get up and you go to the fridge, right? Because you're hungry, you know, that's where you go to get food. But when you're lonely, when you want connections, you have to be really, really lonely in order for you to get that kind of instinct to get up and go to the fridge, so to speak. And the truth is, is for most people, there is no fridge equivalent for feeding loneliness. A co-working space or a community could be that, but most people don't have that instinct. Most people don't know they're actively seeking community. You have to show it to them, and the way you show it to them is through delivering value that they know what they're looking for. So in the case of many co-working communities, what we like to focus on are the elements of aspiration, of growth, of leveling up, of practice, right? Now, there's there's people that approach this on a whole spectrum. There's all different ways to do it, but we know that our community values growth, not in that high growth, shoot the moon, Silicon Valley startup kind of way, but more like personal growth, personal development. When you go out on your own, when you leave a company, you're looking for things that challenge you. You're looking for things that make you feel like you're growing. That mastery that Dan Pink talks about in his trifecta of autonomy, mastery, purpose being the three things that drive the majority of the workforce today, this, the desire for mastery is an intrinsic motivation that you can do a lot with. So if people aren't quote unquote wanting for community, you can try and understand where it is perhaps in their career that they're craving mastery. And you might be able to help them get that through something that starts to look like community. All of these things though, all of these ways to help, it's, it's, you could look at it from a perspective of how do I reduce turnover? And that's sort of, you know, how do I fill in a hole? I think a better way to look at it is how do I increase the value that members are getting out of the co-working space even when they're not sitting at a desk? And in order to do that, you need to understand who your members are and what it is that they're trying to achieve and how you can do that. And the best, there's a lot of ways to do that. And there's good ways to do it. And there's even bad ways to help people achieve things, right? There's ways to help people achieve things that are not in their best long-term interest. You're playing a long-term game here. You got to help people get to where they want to long-term, not just tell them what they want to hear today. And sometimes that's a difficult conversation to have. So our team often has conversations and our members often have conversations with each other about the things that they're trying to do, the things they're trying to get better at, the things they're trying to improve. I highly recommend going out and doing some research on communities of practice. And communities of practice, body of research around sort of knowledge exchange. Even if you're not looking for community, most people that are going to thrive in a co-working space are interested in sharing what they know or learning what other people know. Maybe within their specific domain, maybe it's got less to do with their work and more to do with a personal interest or passion. Like somebody might have a job that is just a job, but they've got a passion that fuels them for, you know, it's comic books or it's movies or it's music or whatever it is. And our art community has been a huge, huge extender of the value that people get out of Indie Hall because in a lot of ways it's got nothing to do with the work, but it helps people connect with each other in things that 
have nothing to do with the work. And those are the kinds of things that make it so that when people aren't physically at Indie Hall, they're still thinking about the community here. I see Instagram posts from our members when they're on vacation saying like, hey, Indie Hall, I'm wearing my hoodie. We're checking in. We have people jumping into Slack just today. Someone jumped into Slack. She said she's been sick and really busy the last couple of weeks, but she missed us as she jumped in the Slack and she said, I've been enjoying lurking and watching what's going on here. The Slack is just a gathering place like your co-working space is. You have to think about how people are interacting with each other, what they're trying to get better at, and you have to help them see, right? They're not – again, there's no instinct like being hungry and going to the fridge. You've got to guide people through it and sometimes show them, and it's totally okay to start small. I think people a lot of times go for something really big, and they try and over-engineer a whole program and a multi-week you know, uh, like a, like an accelerator or whatever, a master, like you don't, it doesn't need to be big and it doesn't need to be a lot, but the biggest thing that you can do in terms of the way that you're thinking and the way you can guide people is helping them help each other. The way you increase member value to each other and over a long period of time is to help people help each other. And the only way to do that is to understand what people have locked up inside of them Start asking them questions and encourage them to ask those questions to each other as well. Help them discover it for themselves. You can't, you can't force people to community. Like if community was a verb, which it's not, you can't make people community. It doesn't work. And you certainly can't make them community longer. But you can start understanding where they are in that lifespan. One sort of last thought on this because I know, you know one of the places where people often leave that seems sort of inevitable for jobs, you know, people have a job transition. They say, well, I've got to, I'm not going to become an indie hall anymore. And so we offer our community membership. Now, when we offer a community membership, it's not, hey, you can keep paying us and have access to Slack. That, that's how we could position it. And I think we might get some people. It's more about, hey, would you like to be able to keep in touch with and stay on top of the things that are going on? I know you're not going to be able to be here every day, but you know, because I know you and I know some of the things that you got out of this, you know, if I know that person's super involved in the arts community, hey, do you want to still stay involved in the arts community? Community membership's a great way to know what's going on, things you can come and do after hours from your job, come and do nights and weekends, come to events. You've got to understand who your members are and what they value in order to deliver them value. I can't tell you what to give your members in order to keep the members longer. All I can do is encourage you to ask them questions and find out what is valuable to them and how can you help them create that for each other. 